Hello and welcome to Plot Twist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Duke Heist by Erica Ridley. So this was just published on February 9th, 2021, and we did get a free version uh, from NetGalley. And this is the first book in the Wild Winchesters series. Should we jump straight into the jacket lane? I think we should. Chloe Winchester is completely forgettable, a curse that gives her the ability to blend into any crowd. When the only father she's ever known makes a dying wish for his adopted family of orphans to recover a missing painting, she's the first one her siblings turn to for stealing it back. No one expects that in doing so, she'll also abduct a handsome duke. Lawrence Gosling, the Duke of Faircliffe, is tortured by his father's mistakes. To repair his estate's ruined reputation, he must wed a high-born heiress. Yet when he finds himself in a carriage being driven hell for leather down the cobblestone streets of London by a beautiful woman who refuses to heed his commands, he fears his heart is hers. But how can he sacrifice his family's legacy for, to follow true love? Holy run-on sentence, Batman. That's a long one. I, I, the first one was pretty long, too, actually. There was, like, a long one. I kept going, and I was like, oh, this is really long. I ran out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> the The other issue I have with this is that I don't think it, I don't think it sets up the story that you get. I, I thought that she was going to kidnap the guy and then they were going to like be on the run and it was going to be a reverse Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happens in this book. My um, random number summary says all the same things, but in only 27 words. So they clearly had room to do more with this. Uh, definitely. Well, since you said that you had a 27 word summary, you want to start it? I do. Leader of misfit orphans must steal back a painting from a duke who is too busy repairing his reputation to notice her until she accidentally kidnaps him. I mean, that, that is it. I think you got it down to 27 words. <laughs> that was my goal. I mean, not really. Like I said, didn't even read it. But I basically did the same summarizing as the book in ha less time than one of the sentences. It's true. I went in a different direction for my 27-word summary. Okay. Okay. This girl I know met this guy while she was pretending to be someone else, and now she doesn't know if he's really in love with her. That's it. <laughs> I think in a weird way, he's more insecure about... I, I think... Her feelings I, than she is about his. I felt like they both were extremely unsure. I This is one of the things I did like about the book, which is probably why I called it out in my summary, is that both of them are very um, unsure of each other and also of their own identities. And yes. so the uh, and for opposite reasons, I mean, for her, the reason is because she she plays a million different roles. And mm -hmm. so she, you know, from a very young age, hasn't decided on what her actual personality is, basically. Okay. And for him, it's everyone assumes that he is one way because he is the Duke and he's, you know, a celebrity, I guess, kind of. And his father's son. And his father's son. And so he's got this reputation to live up to. 
and he doesn't let anyone know his real self. Right. Um, so I, I liked that they were similar in that way. I liked that theme that ran through the book. I did too. I thought some of the pacing felt weird and that some of their emotional reactions at times felt disproportionate to what was happening on the page or like something that should have happened much sooner. Mm -hmm. But overall, I did really like the obvious parallels about like authenticity and self. Right. Yeah. So I, I will say I, I had to edit my summary a lot because <laughs> I couldn't get it to fit in 27 words. So I did my best. Some days you do that and other days you just add like a couple of random syllables to the end. <laughs> <laughs> so the major tropes, of course, I mean, one of the, a lot of them, they call it in the book jacket, but one of the big ones is that she comes from an unsuitable family and he has to marry an heiress because he has a bankrupt estate. And he must marry an heiress by a deadline. Yes. Like his townhouse is going to be repoed. Yes. If he doesn't marry, like, <laughs> by X date. Yeah. So uh, this trope, it's not one of my favorites, but it's also one that can work for me really well sometimes. I mean, we just read The Ruin of Evangeline Jones, which I think used this trope mm -hmm. so well. So I, I didn't have any problems with it here. Definitely. So... She is a sad, tragic orphan from a family of sad, tragic orphans, except twist. Yes, she was raised in an orphanage, but her parents were alive and just gave her up. Mm hmm. But also she was raised in a family of sad, tragic orphans to become the family of Regency Robin Hoods. Yes. So they're out righting the wrongs of society. Sort of. I mean, it's wrongs done against them, so it's a little different. Well, that was, I think, my issue. Well, I had a slight issue with this book because they were made out to be these Regency Robin Hoods that are, like, writing the wrongs of society. They mm. talk a big game about how they're going to identify these people who are downtrodden and then help them out, blah, blah, blah. But in this book, all they do is want to steal back a painting that they had a forgery of in their house. They, so anyway, they, there was a painting in their house. The painting was stolen. They want to steal it back. So this book in particular did not focus on society as a whole. Right. His father was a degenerate gambler. So that is the reason he is potentially going to lose his townhouse, among other things. So he is both repenting for his father's sins and trying to restore the reputation of the family. So he is not just seeking a wealthy bride, but he is seeking associations that will continue to improve his family's stature, yeah. including particularly seeking a wealthy bride who would also allow him to forge a political alliance. Yeah. Uh, and then there she meets him under a false identity and she also goes around under like 15 other false identities. Yes. She's also, okay, have you ever met anyone with a face as forgettable as hers was described as being in this book? 
I mean, I guess the whole point is you wouldn't know, but. I would say maybe I did. I, I think the thing is, too, that she doesn't, and I, this is part of what I was calling out in my uh, summary. Part of the thing is that, that, yes, she has a forgettable face, but she also doesn't forge connections with people outside of her mm-hmm. family. So she doesn't have friends. She doesn't have coworkers. So if, I mean, yeah, there are people who I would never remember that I ride the bus with. You know? Right. And if but I she get does, home again. She does more than that. Like she's in a book club with 20 young women mm-hmm. that she goes to on several occasions. And when she tells, like many of them don't recognize her, don't know what her name had been. I just like, it's a level of forgettable that I thought was really intense and not because of like, she's skilled at disguise or something like, yes, she's intentionally trying to blend in, but she goes everywhere with the same face and with the same name, just not her own name. It's Jane. Like she goes by Jane Brown in these scenarios. Right. But I don't know. She has several aliases. Like, don't get me wrong. Happy to let this go in disbelief. But I just want to say, like, she is a level of forgettable that is almost inhuman. Like, that is the character trait here. And I feel like we've seen it before with some, usually, like, governess-type characters. Yeah. Like, nobody sees them until they see them. And then it's usually the eyeballs. And guess what here? It's the eyeballs. Yeah. I I don't know. I do think... So this is an interesting thing that happens in historicals a lot, I think, is Mm -hmm. that people purposely ignore or forget the servants. Mm-hmm. And so I, there is this level of disbelief when you're reading a historical that you're like, oh, yeah, you just forget about these servants. Of course, unless you're reading the book where you don't forget about them. But For the record, she's not a servant. She's not a servant, but she probably has masqueraded as one, one time or another. But anyway, <laughs> she's very forgettable, guys. They also um, have a big bonding moment where he is willing to see her as an equal in terms of his job. Mm-hmm. And he asks for her help with something professional. And I feel like that is so often a trope, especially in dukedom or earldom or whatever in trouble books, mm-hmm. where the the titled peer finally realizes that the woman can be of an asset to him in some capacity. And she feels seen for the first time in her life and valued for her intellect that was, they even did that in All About Passion with Giles and Francesca, remember? Yep. <laughs> it is such a trope. It's, it is. It really is. It's I, a trope I love. I, I love it. And I, I really liked it here, actually, because she gave him these specific examples of how he could change his speech that I also agreed with. I was like, wow, these are great. These are great tips for your speech. I thought Chloe did a great job. Whereas thinking about, say, Francesca, not so good. So I liked, I liked the specificity here. Yeah, it was definitely show me, don't tell me in terms of her competence. Yeah, and his, and his, yes. And we like a competent character, that's for sure. Exactly. So, um, as we discussed, all of the Winchester children, Chloe's family, are orphans who have sort of made their own family. Mm-hmm. So they are a found family living under several erroneous (laughs) claims, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. And they all have their own peculiar skills. Yes. 
And some of them were like pretty typical, you know, like if you think about Ocean's Eleven, you know, we have the the safe cracker, we have the master of disguise. But in this one, I really liked how one of them, their their um, skill was ventriloquism. And art. Well, the art made sense because it's like they're a forger. So they were but it's just it's the same person. Yes. The ventriloquist and the artist are the same person. This is true. This is true. And also the other person had animal training. So there's one scene where the animal trainer is trying to convince them to use a bird to put an object back where they took it from. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I was supposed to think it was a joke that that person is the best animal trainer ever and can make animals do things that animals can't do. Or like the person is kind of simple and believes it, but it's not possible. Like I'm not sure how I was supposed to take it. I'm sure we'll find out when we read his book. So this is, I guess it's going to put many. The one thing that I really took away from this book, mm-hmm. all of the Winchesters seemed way younger to me than they were actually on the page. I was shocked when I realized Chloe was supposed to be like almost 30. Yeah. She struck me as like 18. Yeah. I I didn't read it as them being young. I read it as them being basically a family of manic pixie dream boys and girls. But that's just it. Boys and girls, not men and women. Well, you can't say manic pixie dream woman. There. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I think we both have a point here, which is yeah. <laughs> that, that, yes, the manic pixie dream whatever brings out the whimsical side of you and the whole family was just like super whimsical together but they're not men or women that trope it does sort of bring out your youthful side so they did act pretty youthful right pretty stunted there wasn't a lot of reflection like the whole point of this book is basically that as Meg said both Chloe and Lawrence are projecting their fake selves and are struggling with their own identity and all that stuff. But they also are pretty one dimensionally viewing others Mm -hmm. and getting them to realize that other people aren't just like characters, caricatures of themselves is a big part of this book. And I feel like that's something most people pick up on before they're 30. Yeah. But she did have a very peculiar childhood. I think I found it less jarring than you did or less intrusive yeah. than you did. I found I was really shocked when I realized she wasn't supposed to be young. Yeah. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised that the final conflict did not have to do with the fact that she's been lying to him about her identity for basically the entirety of their relationship. Yeah. I thought when she finally came clean to him that that was going to be the the break. I struggled with, so there's sort of, obviously the fact that she's lying to him is an issue. And I agree with you. I'm glad that wasn't like the main crux in the finale, but his two problems as to why he can't consider marrying her even when he's into her are her lack of money and her bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Those things very inconsistent. 
Like, namely, he is still willing to reject her on the basis of her bad reputation after publicly siding with her and giving mm-hmm. up his own reputation for her. So it right. seemed really late to have that, like, reservation. And she tries to tell him, like, to engage with him on the topic of, okay, so so what if I do have money? What if I'm not asking you to pick me in before? And he just blows right past it? Mm-hmm. Like, I think we've seen this conflict before where the guy needs money and the woman has it but doesn't want to tell anyone. And she's basically like, oh, no big deal. Like, I wish that had been less of a conflict. Yeah. In this. I I don't disagree. I think for me, I just, I was expecting, I was expecting the conflict to be the fake identity. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't. So she's the Ridley separated the fake identity from the other secrets that she was keeping. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, I, I did like, so I did like that she never lied to him about her money either though. He just, it oh, was all an yeah. assumption on his part. Yep. So She did say she wanted a wealthy husband. Mm-hmm. But other than, Saying that she never, and that's like obviously only a lie. Like, what's the word I want? It's adjacent to a lie. Lie adjacent. <laughs> lie adjacent. She wasn't actually seeking a wealthy husband at all. Right. So the fact that she specified wealthy was irrelevant, but he used that to draw his conclusion that she was impoverished. And I think at one point she tells him she doesn't have a dowry, which was true. She had trust. Right. She's like, I actually have independent money. Right. I also okay I didn't love the way that was handled in the end yeah and this is just like very moderately spoilery so you can skip forward a minute if you care I just thought it was really weird that she spent the whole book thinking about how great it was that she could have her own money and make her own decisions and then he finds out she has the money and he immediately thinks well that's enough to pay off the townhouse make some good investments like you know re-get a carriage and like immediately sort of prioritizes, okay, so what is that going to mean for us collectively and like saving my dukedom? Mm-hmm. And it's not like she says to him, we have this money or I have the money and I want us to save your dukedom. Like he hears she has this independent means, immediately treats that money in his mind like it's a dowry and that's yeah. never corrected. No, that's true. That's and that true. bothered me. Like if you want to make the point that the women have independence, and their own options. Clearly, she's made her own financial decisions and investing decisions up to this point. I did not love the implication she was about to sign it all over to her. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the end. I loved the grand gesture, though. I mean, I'm a sucker for a grand gesture, and I liked it here. I liked it. I liked the clothes porn from her, though. I did not love the she wore all of her favorite things all together in public. Look, Lane, I was thinking about this because, okay, so dear dear podcast listeners, you have never seen me and Lane. I will not say that we're like fashionistas, but I will say that we care about our clothes. When it is not COVID, absolutely. <laughs> so neither of us, I think, would have done what Chloe does which is put on everything. 
I will also say that neither of us are like uh, Coco Chanel, take one thing off before you leave the house. Like that's not me and Lane. That's not what we're saying she does. She doesn't just like over accessorize. She basically just puts everything on that she likes. Well, she says like she wears her favorite shoes with her favorite bag, with her favorite dress, with her favorite hat. Never mind that none of those things match and are meant to go with the same outfit. And that to me, as someone who picks my lipstick shade, depending on my outfit, is horrifying. Yes, yes. I pick out everything the night before, like my jewelry. And anyway, it was rough. It was rough. I was excited (laughs) for her. I was very excited for her getting to wear her clothes that she felt she couldn't wear before. But I was like, just, I I don't know. It was her first time. So I guess I can give her a pass. I'm just saying that wearing the ridiculous hat to make a romantic gesture with an otherwise flawless outfit would have been sufficient to make the point. Correct. But I did like it though. I thought it was fun for her, but I also died inside. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about Tommy. She has a sibling, Thomasina, mm-hmm. who is a master of disguise, which I thought was a really fun Yes. Part, and she gets to play the crotchety old aunt who's a bad chaperone, but mm-hmm. is actually her younger sister. Tommy is very androgynous in her appearance and is clearly interested in, in a woman at the very least. Yes. Uh, and Tommy also dresses as a man sometimes. And depending on the presentation, they change the pronouns. So when Tommy is dressed as a man, he goes by him. When Tommy is dressed as a woman, she goes by her. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was, I thought Tommy was a really interesting character, and I'm very interested to to see if that is going to be the focus of a full length novel as the next one in the series, or if not the next one, a subsequent one. Right. It seemed like it was being set up. I thought it was interesting. I actually had wondered when. Lawrence ends his suit of Philippa mm-hmm. when she makes the comment of I'm as interested in you as you are in me. I sort of want, like, I don't know why I got the vibe she was a lesbian, but I definitely did. Oh, I got the vibe as well. And so that's why I'm interested to see what happens with Tommy. I'm very, yeah. I, I, I don't know. This was, this is definitely my favorite subplot. Agreed. So I, I am hoping that we get a full-length Tommy and Philippa novel. Me too. And like, as regular listeners will know, Meg and I very rarely dip our toe out of male-female historical romance. But I'm interested enough in the Winchester siblings and interested enough in Philippa mm-hmm. to give it a shot. Yeah. Um, all right. Offensiveness. We already talked about the crime against fashion. So the only thing I would say is some of the treatment the orphans received, especially, yeah, was pretty horrific mm-hmm. and mentioned in passing. Yes, there were a couple a couple of passages when Chloe described things she'd seen that I was sort of taken aback by, and the next paragraph was moved on to something else. Yeah. So just if if you find young children having to steal to live and going hungry and witnessing pretty horrific things, difficult, this book does not dwell on it. I would not say it is the subject of this book, but I noted it with wide eyes a couple of points. 
Yeah. But not so nothing offensive, just a, a, a content warning, really. Yeah, agreed. Uh, sexiness. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> yes. Actually, um, I liked how in control of her sexuality she was. Mm-hmm. But I also liked that him being willing to listen to her and engage wasn't given a pass by the author. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I, I'm trying to say this without spoiling it. Um, obviously, ruining a young woman had consequences and honorable men acted a certain way. And so to a degree, while the fact that he was willing to listen to her and give her what she wanted was admirable his lack of like moral qualm about it all also said something about classism yes and i I wish they hadn't fought immediately after the first sex scene immediately but that's like always a thing with us always a thing yes Uh, it takes a while for them to do anything super sexual they have some makeouts but takes a while for anything more than that uh but once you got there i thought it was real sexy I also liked, I mean, we've talked before about how we don't like infidelity, mm-hmm. even though this was, like, he was not promised to anyone else. He was just, like, investigating the potential of courting a woman. I liked that he was absolutely unattached Yes. before they did anything more than kiss. Like, he was yes. never taken. There was never an infidelity situation. But I'm glad they both had enough respect for the people in their social circle to like get clarity before they like did anything that would create an attachment between them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I thought the sex was sexy and well handled and uh, even had wider social implications as Ling pointed out. So, well, and um, you know, we love a book where he goes down on her and she's not weird about it. Yep. I'm so tired of virgins being like, you can kiss me there. She's like, nope. I, I think she said, my aunt said you look like you wanted to eat me. And he and she was like, do you? And he went, you want me to? I was like, low clap. Hell yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but so all in all, I would say it was an enjoyable look. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. I liked the family dynamics. I liked what it said about belonging. Like I said, I thought at times it was a little inconsistent in terms of reactions. Um, Yeah, but overall, I would definitely recommend. I thought for a first book in a series, it was a fun start. Yeah, and I will say I am definitely looking forward to um, at least Tommy's book for sure. Yeah. I'm interested. All of the siblings struck me as young. Mm-hmm. And I know Chloe is granted supposed to be the oldest, but I am looking forward to exploring some of them in more depth than just at their manic pixie surface. Absolutely. I agree. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out all around the internet, uh, Instagram at Plot Trists and Goodreads slash Plot Trists.